He's going to start a new series, and so let's give it up for Danny. Well, good morning again. That was a fun baptism. They're all fun. This is special. Well, as Penny said, we are starting a new series today. So before we jump in and look at what we're going to be covering over the next six weeks, let's go ahead and, and ask God to, to give us ears to hear what, what he has for us in this passage. Father, we thank you so much for the, your word. We thank you that, that you can not only give us information, but you can change our lives as you speak to us through your scriptures. So come today, give me clarity of speech and thought. Give us all what you have to deposit in our hearts that would, would change us and would continue to, to conform us into, into your image. That's our desire, Lord, that we grow to be more and more like you. So come and have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've changed out of my baptism outfit, and I'm in something more proper for preaching in. So uh, we're going to jump into our new series. We're, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians. And as you know, uh, generally, not exclusively, but generally here at the Vineyard, rather than doing topical teachings and uh, themes uh, in our sermons, what we try to do is do book series. We, we want to be people of the Word. We want to be people who are not just learning principles to live by, but we want to be people who come to understand what is it that God says in the scriptures? What is it that the different books are addressing? Why did the God, were the gospels written? Who wrote them? What is the message to us? And then to look at both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the various books that can really enrich our lives and can help us to see Christ, help us to see God, understand who he is and what he has for us. So we're going to begin a six-week series today going through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian uh, church, the church in Colossae. Uh, and what I want to do today is really just whet your appetite for the next five weeks, just to give you some idea, a little bit of background, but to give you some idea of why this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, and exactly what are the themes of this letter, so that over these next number of weeks you'll be able to, to flow with the, the flow of the, of the uh, letter. Let me just say a bit about the, the city of Colossae. Colossae is in what now is, is Turkey. It was on the western portion of Turkey. It was, it was a medium to small size uh, uh, city, and it was a city, though, that the Apostle Paul had not only never visited, but indeed the, the church there wasn't planted by Paul himself. Paul planted many, many churches in the Gentile countries, but this particular church wasn't planted by the Apostle Paul. It was planted by one of Paul's disciples, someone that Paul had converted. Uh, a, a young man named Epaphras. And apparently, whether Epaphras was was with Paul and traveled with Paul, or perhaps, because at this time in Paul's life, he had been imprisoned. He was in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. Maybe Epaphras was imprisoned in Rome too, and Paul led him to Christ while he was in prison. But either way, Paul had never been to Colossae. He had come to understand, he had come to hear that there was a new young church in this city. 
And as, as an apostle, what his desire was is to impart some of the, some of the, the foundational teachings for this, uh, to this, this church. Paul had written letters to various churches that he had planted and others, wanting to make sure that they understood what the apostles' teachings were, what the foundational teachings of the Christian life were. Was And he had talked to individuals, he had heard good reports about what was going on in Colossae. So from his prison cell in Rome, he wrote this letter with uh, his young disciple, uh, Timothy, who was there in prison with him. He wrote this letter and sent it off to, to Colossae to be read in that church and, and other churches nearby like uh, Laodicea and Heropolis. So Paul was writing this letter to give them the core theology of the Christian faith, to encourage them as a young church, to encourage them to continue to, to pursue and walk with God, and then also to address some concerns about th uh, spiritual threats, if you will, that this young church in, in Colossae was experiencing. So he wanted to encourage them, he wanted to give them the core theology, and he wanted to address certain concerns he had because he didn't want to see this young church because of other teachings in the, in the community, in the culture of, of Colossae. He didn't want to see them pulled off that foundation of their faith. Now, to, to let you know a little bit about Colossae, about this city, it was a culture that had many, many philosophies and other religions that were pushing against the, the core teaching that Jesus taught and that the apostles taught. It wasn't an easy place to walk with God, to walk with Christ. There were philosophies that, what, that continually uh, pulled against the tide of, of this Christian faith. So Paul writes to them recognizing, number one, it was a poly, polytheistic culture. There were many, many gods. Most cities had their own god. Colossae uh, had its own god, a, a god called Colossus. And in, in the harbor of Colossae, there was this enormous statue, probably about the size of, of the Statue of Liberty, that people would come in and pass the statue of their god, Colossus. And it was huge, and that's where we get our term, our, our phrase, Colossus, meaning large and, and powerful. So there was, it was a polytheistic uh, culture, many, many gods, you know, each person would have their favorites, each city would have their favorites. There were hundreds of gods. There were, where there were higher uh, level gods, there were lesser deities. It was a, a complicated spiritual society in that sense. In addition, it was a culture that had many, many what were referred to as mystery religions. It was popular in that culture with all the different gods that there were little cults. They were, they were, they were referred to as mystery religions because it was sort of, they were secret. They, they, their truth was secret. They were, they were religions that, that surrounded little groups of individuals that would, would build their lives around some special revelation and understanding that they, that they had, that God, one of their gods had given them. And in fact, the, one of the, the influences in that part of the Roman Empire was uh, Gnosticism. 
And many of these mystery religions just reflected this overall, came under this overall umbrella of Gnostic religions. And, and Gnosticism was so prevalent at this time. Gnosticism, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the core, the key concept in these Gnostic religions, these, these mystery religions, is that, that each individual, each group, would get this special revelation, these special insights. And they would be very tight-handed with those, those special revelations and insights. It was very exclusive. You know, the secret handshake. I don't know if they had secret handshake. They probably had secret handshake. But I mean, everyone could believe according to that, their own revelation. Really not that much different than what we see in our culture today, is it? That everyone seems to think that, well, I know that's what you believe, but here's what I believe, and I nuance it this way, and, and I, I, I accept this about your faith, but, but I don't accept that about your faith. And rather than having, having any core understanding or absolute truth, much like 21st century United States, in this culture, truth was, was relative. What your God, what revelation that you felt like you had ruled the day and directed your steps. So we had this Gnostic belief. Another factor that is relevant in our reading through of the book of Colossians is that in the Gnostic religions, there was a, a, a disdain for that which is purely earthly, that which is purely a part of this creation, a, a great divide between that which is spiritual and holy and of heaven and those things that are of this earth and natural. They saw things that were created, things of this earth, as bad. And therefore, many of the Gnostic cults would reject all that is of this world and the flesh. They would beat their own bodies. They would deny the, you know, the uh, basic needs of the, of the human body because all that is natural, all that is of this world was bad. They'd separate themselves as much as they could from this world. But there were other Gnostics and Gnostic belief systems that said, well, since everything in this world is bad, it, it, it's also irrelevant because we're made for a spiritual a spiritual place. We're not made for this world. So really, whatever we do while we're here on earth has no real eternal value. So eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you wish because it has, it has no real value. It's just a vapor. It, it's just, it's not going to last. So you had some Gnostics who would beat themselves and who, were, who would separate themselves. You had other Gnostics uh, beliefs uh, and, and religions that would uh, would give over to temple prostitution, would give over to any of their own desires. And this, again, this was the culture that Paul was writing. This was what he wanted to clear up. Uh, to clear up. Now, in addition, there was one other factor that, that we need to understand if we're going to understand the motivation for Paul writing this letter. And that was that there were a group of individuals, Jewish individuals, who were, were so angry that Jesus, who came, who declared himself to be the, the Messiah, and these churches that were springing up, he, these Jewish individuals 
were attempting to follow Paul and the other apostles, trying to convince those young churches that if they wanted a relationship with God, they had to keep the law. They were called Judaizers. And the Judaizers essentially were going from church to church, saying, if you truly want to follow God, if you really want to, to understand what this, this faith of yours is about, we're Jewish, and we can explain it. You need to keep the Old Testament law, and by keeping the law, that's how you'll earn your relationship with God. Now, remember that the, the, the church, the Christian church, as it was established after Pentecost, it was never seen, it was, at that time, it was never meant to be viewed as some new religion. Jesus, as I said, Jesus came as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was the Messiah. He came to the Jewish people, and then by God's design, particularly through the Apostle Paul, it spread through all the Gentiles, Gentile countries. But the understanding was that the Gentiles were sort of being adopted in to the Jewish faith, grafted in to the Jewish religion. The first 100,000 Christians likely were all Jews, with, with few exceptions. So the Judaizers would come and say, listen, we know about Judaism. You want to follow our Messiah, that's fine, but you're going to have to do it by keeping the law. So Paul wanted to free the, these young churches from the bondage of legalism, to help them understand that it's not by keeping the law, but it's by re, through relationship. It's not by your efforts or your good works. It's by the works that I accomplished by dying as your substitute for your sins. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae trying to clear these things up. This, the theme of this letter is the supremacy of Christ. He's not just one of many gods. He certainly is not a lesser god. He is fully God, and he's the one true God. And that Jesus created all things that the things here on earth aren't bad. They're not in, intrinsically evil. But Jesus is the one who created everything. That's another theme that we see through Colossians over these next number of weeks. That Jesus, in fact, he came and he took on human form. He came and clothed himself in flesh and blood. Another theme is that Jesus came to declare, to boldly call out the mysteries of who God is. The secrets that these cults were, were saying, we can't let you in on you, you're not mature enough, you couldn't understand this. Jesus came to reveal the mysteries of God, to make known the mysteries of God to the universe. And Jesus, he also, uh, one of the themes of the scriptures, rather, was of, the, of this letter, was to, that Jesus came to open every door required to have a relationship with Christ, to have a relationship with God. That it, it wasn't for those who, who could keep the Jewish law the best, 
but Jesus came and threw the doors wide open that all could come and ha enter into this life and this journey with God. So with that as a foundation, and those will all be elaborated on over these next number of weeks, let's jump right into the passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, uh, or your Bible is on your cell phone, just open it up. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles on the stage in the back of the... Uh, on the uh, what was that? Sound booth uh, counter. And you can get, get a Bible there. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, it says... Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's pe holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, in the first century, they, they didn't sign their letters at the end. They said who it was from right at the, at the beginning. It makes more sense that way. You don't have to sort of flip through all the pages and say, who is this from? You just right on top. So Paul begins his letter in that traditional way, and he says, this letter is from Paul, and then he, he says who he is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He makes it clear he's not an apostle because he, he, he was elected. He's not an apostle because it's something that he always wanted to, to be. Far from that, actually. He's not an apostle because uh, he... He went to certain classes and he, he got the right degrees. He said, I'm an apostle because God designed me. He created me to be an apostle. I'm a, an apostle by the will of God. And this, this is, again, something that is going to be a thread through the book of Colossians. This whole concept that God has a will. He had a will for Paul. And Paul says, I... I, I embraced the purposes that God had for me, and the purposes that God had for me were, was to be an apostle, one who is sent out from the church to teach and to preach and to point to Christ and to establish and to plant churches. Paul wanted them to be clear that his apostleship didn't come because the 12 decided that he's an apostle. They approved it, they affirmed it, but the 12 apostles, the original apostles of Jesus, though they acknowledged that Paul indeed had the apostolic call on him, Paul wanted to make clear, no, it, I'm an apostle because that's how God designed me to be. That was his purposes. It's not by my own doing. And, and let me just say by parenthetically that this, this concept that, that one is created for a purpose isn't just for, for apostles. It's not just for, for pastors. It's not just for evangelists. It's not just for certain unique individuals. And, and the rest get to be just Christians. But the reality is that every single one of us have a purpose for which we were created. Every single one of us have a call on our lives. You know, you, you, you may not be an apostle. The term we use nowadays for apostle is missionary, one who is sent out to plant churches. That may not be your call. Maybe you're, you're called as a teacher. Maybe you're called as a doctor. Maybe you're called as a, as a, a nurse or a, or a business person. Maybe you're called as a, a, to be a, a, a mother. Maybe you're called as a father. Maybe you're called to 
you fill in the blank. But the reality is, and what Paul is going to make clear, is that there's no one, there's not one person on the face of this earth that, is, that finds themselves existing here apart from a purpose, a plan, a call that God has. And that it's our privilege in, as we enter into this journey with Jesus to sometimes over time to find and come to realize and come to, to embrace those purposes that God has for our lives. And, and I, I would say that the reason why so many people find themselves, we find ourselves drifting spiritually, the reason why individuals who, who once had firm faith find dullness or lose sight of the fact that God has, has taken hold of their lives and indeed they've taken hold of God, the reason why there's this kind of drift, there's this kind of dullness that, that sneaks into our lives so often is because we've lost sight that God has a purpose for us. We don't get up in the morning with any notion of what might God have for me today? How might God use me when I go to work? How might God use me as I go wake up my children and get them ready for school? How might God use me as I talk to a neighbor, as I interact with a waitress? That God has purposes for our lives in each day, and God has, and he unfolds it oftentimes gradually. At least that's how he's done it in my life. God has purposes, overall purposes, for how he has wired us how he has designed us. And when we lose sight of that, then we begin to drift. Then we begin to just shuffle around and think all that this life is for is just to stay out of trouble. All this life is for is just a holding pattern until God takes us home. And that's not true. And because of that loss of an understanding as Paul had... Paul, an apostle by the will of God, because we don't know what we're for or why we are, we begin to just drift and we fall into a trap that apparently the Colossians did, which is to, to be drawn to other gods, other cults, other purposes, other reasons for living. When a Christian no longer is living with this reality that there's purpose for my life, when we're no longer being drawn to God, in order to come and, and begin to recognize, begin to, to see, even if it's, it's not clear initially, we begin to see what his purposes are. It's that that gives reason for living and, and helps us to, to not begin to worship the various idols. That's what was happening with the church in Colossae. That's what happens with us, except our, our idols aren't called Colossus and and various other God-type names. Our, our idols are called things like Polaris. Our idols are called Easton. Our idols are called, you know, Career. Our idols are called Brutus Buckeye. Our idols are whatever. You fill in the blank. We have those things that grip us and become that which gives us purpose, that which gives us meaning, that which motivates, that, that which makes life full, or so we think. And Paul, in this letter, is going to make it clear, no, it's, it's not those idols that the world offers. It's knowing who you are, and there is only one person in this universe that can tell us who we are. And it's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not a pastor, 
It's Jesus. And he does that progressively. I wish he did it clearly. I wish, I wish when I woke up in the morning, he would just have a list on the wall saying, here's what I got for you. I wish when I was born, he would have given my mother and father a list and say, here's, here's what's up for Danny's life for the, for the rest of his life. But that's, that's not what he does. He, he progressively gives us, nudges us, guides us. And if we're a people who recognize that we are created for a purpose, that there is a will that he has for us, a purpose, a plan that he has for us, then we're going to be drawn into that. Otherwise, we'll be drawn away from that. He goes on, he calls the Colossians a holy people. Some of your Bibles may translate that saints. That the, the Colossians, they probably read this and they thought, well, I don't feel very holy. All right, do you feel holy? I don't feel holy. I certainly don't feel like a saint. But Paul's beginning to introduce another thread through this, through this book that we can understand not only are we called of God for a purpose, but we are called holy. We are, are sanctified, literally. We are separated for God's special purposes. That the Colossians weren't just some ragtag group that, that Epaphras happened to gather together who had given their hearts to, to Jesus, you know, who were walking so contrary to the, to the flow of their culture that made, it made them feel like oddballs. Sometimes we feel that way too, don't we? You know, we, we're walking a path that's so contrary to the flow of our culture it's easy to think, oh man, I am so out of step with, with society. But Paul said, let me remind you who you are. You're holy people. It's not talking about their behavior. It's talking about their position. Okay? It's talking about their position. As God sees them, they are individuals who are holy, who are, the word is, is sanctified, separated, for God's special purposes. That's who they were. And Paul wants them to understand that. They were just not a, some people out of step with the culture, pushing against cultural norms. They were saints. They were people that God had, had apprehended. And he goes on to say that you are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now this phrase, in Christ is a phrase that he uses, Paul used in many of his early letters to various churches, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Corinthians. This notion that when we come and give our lives to God, God takes us, and in his heart and mind, he places us in Christ. He identifies us with Christ. What's true of Christ becomes true of us. As each individual steps into the baptismal today, what they were saying is, I am identifying myself with Christ. And I recognize that God has taken my life and placed me in his, uh, as his possession. Another place in Paul's letters, it says, we are placed in Christ, in God, he has sealed us. He has wrapped us up. He's identified us with him. If, 
if this book represented God and, and this little Greek blue, blue, blue paper represented us, what God does when we surrender our lives to him is he places us, spiritually speaking, in his heart and mind, he places us in Jesus. What is true then of Jesus becomes true of us. Just as this paper, what, what I do with this, this Bible, the paper goes along with. If I put the, the, the Bible over here, where's that paper? It's right there. If I, if I toss the Bible over there, where's the paper? It's over there. Because the paper's in the Bible. If we're in Christ and Jesus gets nailed to a tree, where will we? We were nailed to the tree. That punishment that Jesus suffered was attributed to us. And if Jesus then was taken down from that tree and was placed in the ground, where will we? If we're in Christ, we also have been identified with the death of Christ, the burial of Christ. And if Jesus on the third day rose from that grave, had victory over death, where were we? We're in Christ. God views as, what, uh, as though what was, is true of Jesus is true of us. And as Jesus had victory over death, over sin, demonstrated by that resurrection, as individuals in Christ, so also we have become a, a renewed person. continue verses three through eight it says we always thank god the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you paul's saying this to the church in Colossae, because we have heard of the of your faith in christ jesus and of the love you have for all of god's people the faith and love that springs from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is, being, uh, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it's, been, uh, as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of God on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. You know, in, in this passage... One of the things he's saying is that, that he sees and hears the marks of the Christian life in these believers in Colossae. He says, I, I, I know of your faith and love that springs forth from hope. We see these three marks of the Christian life in 1 Corinthians 13. We, we see it talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1. Faith and hope, and the, how that is being produced, or, or faith and love, rather, and how faith and love springs forth from is a byproduct of hope. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you just briefly what, what that's addressing. Hope isn't just some kind of, it doesn't come from some fertile imagination, you know. Oh, I hope someday I'll be rich. Oh, I hope someday this will happen. I hope someday that will happen. Hope is just not something, oh, I wish this would happen. 
It's not wishful thinking. Biblically speaking, when you see the word hope, it's talking about something far more concrete. Hope is, is, is actually the, the reality of what we have inherited because we've been joined with Christ. The hope of the Christian is eventually heaven. The hope of the Christian is the inheritance that we gather up as we journey with Jesus in this life. The hope of the Christian is joy. The hope of the Christian is peace. These are the byproducts that we get. And he says, because we have this hope, we have this inheritance, we have these things that are ours because we are with Christ, culminating with being face-to-face with him in heaven someday, from that springs forth faith, a confidence in what we can't fully see, what we don't fully grasp hold of right now. But hope is a sure thing. And as we have that, and as we understand that, and as we partake of of those things along our life with Christ, our faith is increased because we see God is, is continually offering peace, even in the most difficult times, for instance. And love is another product of hope. The more we understand how much we are, we are loved by God, the more we understand how faithful God is with us, the more we can have love flow out of us. So the, the, these, these characteristics of the Christian life, Paul lays out for the Colossians, says, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your, your love. And I see how it's springing forth to this hope that you have taken hold of, goes on in verse 9 to say, for this reason, because you heard the gospel, because it's bearing fruit, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually, listen to how Paul prayed for this young church. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, so that you can be bearing fruit in every good work, growing, expanding in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to serve, to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So Paul says, we're praying for you. And and first and foremost, how Paul prayed for that young church is, is consistent with what we were just talking about. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will for them as a church, that they would be filled as individuals with the awareness that God has a purpose. And as I said earlier, if we lose sight of that, if you walk out of here this morning without being nudged along in in embracing that concept that God has a purpose for your life, you'll be the lesser for that. 
that if we don't realize, even as we leave this building today, that God has something for us this afternoon. It might be grand and glorious, or it might be just a few more steps along the journey, but God wants to speak to you. He wants to work in you. He wants to work through you. He wants to work on your behalf. He has a purpose for you this day. When you're talking to the waitress down at Bob Evans or Cracker Barrel or wherever you're going to go to lunch, he has a purpose in that. When you go home and you're sitting around the, 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 the table or watching TV or seeing your neighbor as he's out there raking leaves, that we can give pause and say, Lord, is there something here? Maybe there's a divine appointment in this moment. That's what gives life. That's what gives purpose. To recognize, Lord, you might want to use me in this moment at work, in this class I attend, with my friend, with my neighbor, with my child, with my parent, with my spouse, with my roommate. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Understand that, that though God may lead us on mountaintops or, or bring us through valleys, he has a purpose in those places. And quite frankly, and I, and I hate to say this out loud because I think God might be listening, but I've come to recognize that the most vibrant times of my Christian walk, my journey with Jesus, has more often occurred when I'm walking through the valleys and the difficult times than when I'm walking, tiptoeing from mountaintop to mountaintop. You know, it's, it's when I'm, I'm in those difficult, dark, times. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm hanging on and I'm more aware of my desperate need to see and experience and know that Christ is in me and I am with him. Maybe it's because at those times I, I, I recognize that without God I'm going to go under. But knowing that he has a will for us, all important, it keeps us close. It makes life worthwhile. And that, that he, Paul wanted them to be aware, not only that he has purposes for them, but that they would also grow in their knowledge of him. As we walk with him, like any relationship, we grow in our knowledge. We get to know them better. He says, I want you to know that he has purposes for your life, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of being his child. And it's important that we don't get that reversed. It's not that I want you to walk in a manner, a manner worthy of being a child of God so that you can know him and his purposes for your life. It's not that if we behave ourselves, then he'll reveal who he is to us and his purposes for us. He says, no, you first understand that I know you, I love you, I have a relationship with you, I have a purpose for you, and then the result will be you will naturally be drawn into a life that is worthy, that is consistent with who you are. He says, I want you to grow in your knowledge of him. And he's not talking about just simply theological knowledge, 
uh, knowing facts about him. It's experiential knowledge. You know, it's, it's being woven together. Relationally. And he says the result of that is going to be endurance and patience. Because even through hard times, we can endure because we're walking with the King of Kings. We can be patient because we know he's with me. David says in the Old Testament, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. How did David know that? Because he, it wasn't his first day walking with God. He saw the faithfulness of God with him moment after moment. He anticipated God's purposes from when he, when he was a kid, seeing Goliath. When he was a kid, dealing with people chasing him and wanting to kill him. He saw God's faithfulness. So he grew in endurance. He grew in patience. And he finishes up this passage saying, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. It's as if he's saying that this portion of the, this chapter 1, he says, and don't let those Judaizers pull you down. Don't let them bring you under the bondage of thinking that all this journey with Christ is, is keeping rules. It's relationship. It's knowing how much he loves you. Because if you understand that, you'll want to walk with him. You'll want to please him. Whereas if you start with trying to please him, you'll never come to know him. He says, remember that it's God who brought us out of darkness. It's God who brought you out of the kingdoms of these, these idols and brought you into the kingdom of the Son who God loves and in whom, in our relationship with Christ, we have redemption. It's just simply referring to be, literally in the first century, as being bought out of the slave market. No longer are we slaves to sin, slaves to, to the things of this world, but God has purchased us by the blood that he shed on the cross. He's purchased us. He's, he's brought us and bought us and delivered us into something that gives us purpose and meaning, a, a journey for all the days on this earth, a journey with him, and that hope, that heavenly hope for the future. We have redemption and forgiveness. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. But God said, but Paul says, but remember, you have forgiveness. Yes, I know you're not going to live the perfect life. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep pursuing him. Make this journey about following him. And when you stumble, God will forgive you. He'll call you to get back up and he'll call you to continue on in that journey. So this is, this is where we're headed. This is what, these are the themes that are going to be pressed out over these next six weeks, five weeks in this series. But why don't you stand up and let's just see what God has for us this morning. Because, because God has a will for us.
has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for this time as we gather together. And, and let's just wait and see what, what God might want to do. Father, we, we just give the, the remainder of our time this morning to you. We ask that you would come and have your way in, in what time remains. Show us what you're doing in heaven that we could take handfuls of your purposes and pull it down here to earth. You know, yesterday as I was praying and, and just feeling again reminded this morning, I, I believe one of the things that God wants to do just because he cares about us, because he loves us, because he's a powerful God. I believe God wants to, to bring healing. You know, for some people, it may be emotional healing. For some people, it might be spiritual healing. But I believe God wants to do physical healing today also. We've seen some wonderful things as we've prayed for others in the last number of weeks. People healed of, of chronic, chronic conditions. I've heard testimonies from the food pantry of people getting prayed for. One individual, I think I put it on the, uh, the, the, uh, my Facebook page, an individual came here to get some groceries who had surgery on his back, could barely walk, you know, straight up, daily pain, was, was healed and healed instantly and has no pain and left here with groceries and a healing. That's not too shabby. And I believe God has things for us today as well. And, and as I was prayed, sometimes God will give me pictures or, or thoughts will, will come to mind and God so give me some direction in how we could pray, at least some of the things to be prayed for. And, and one of those things that the Lord brought to my mind is that I believe there are a number of people here who have, who have pain and the, and he sort of gave me a sympathetic pain. A pain came and it went. And it was sort of God saying, there are people who have pain in their jaw and in their face. And, and perhaps maybe it's TMJ for some of you, whatever that stands for. I know there's a condition that causes facial pain and jaw pain called TMJ. It may be dental problems. It may be just uh, whatever. Uh, sinus problems that cause, are causing pain. But I believe there are a number of people who suffer pain in, in their face, in their jaw. Who, who's that? Just lift your hand right where you're at if, if that's you. Okay, make sure you get prayer for that. Also, I, I believe there's a number of people here who have, who have pain when they walk, and, and for some it's, it's arthritis, for some it's bone spurs. I've, I also have the sense there may be people here who have planters, warts, things of that sort, different uh, problems in the bone structure in their feet. Well, who is that? Just raise your hands. Probably a number of people here also for that. And, and people, the other, the other thing that came to mind as I was praying for what God might want to do is just gastrointestinal problems. You know, colitis, Crohn's, uh, um, you know, there are various diseases, various conditions, but I believe there are a number of people who have problems in gastrointestinal problems. Who is that? Just raise your hand up. We want to, we want to pray for you too. Very good. And, and undoubtedly in a group this size, many of you have other things that you've come with. And, and God is good. God knows you're here. He knows your situation. God is 
all-powerful, and he is able to provide for you by his grace what you need when before you leave today. So here's what we're going to do. If, if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you just to go ahead and raise it once again, right where you're standing. Just lift your hand up. Come on, there were more than that. Now, keep your hands up. Those of you who are out there and you see someone with their hand raised, I want you to just, just go ahead, gather three or four people around each person. Make sure every person has three or four people standing beside them. Ask them what they need from Jesus today. And there's no special magical prayers, just whatever they need, just say, Jesus, give them what they need right now. Give them that healing, give them that peace, give them that hope, whatever it is. Keep your hands raised until there's someone right next to you. Hold your hands high so we can get everybody praying. Got some folks over here. Back there, someone go over and pray for Tom in the red shirt right back there where I'm pointing. You're all duly deputized to pray because it's not your power, it's Jesus' power. You're just a conduit. And the rest of us, let's just, just worship the Lord. Let's just create a context for the Holy Spirit to move with power. Father, we just bless what you're doing right now. We recognize that because you are present, because you are with us and we are with you, your power, your grace, your mercy is available. Lord, we are not healers, but you're the healer. So come and just touch these individuals right now. In Jesus' name. We ask that there be cessation of pain, that there be a healing of gastrointestinal problems, healing of, of uh, TMJ, healing of the sinus problems, healing of, of, of the pain as they have walked, and arthritis. Lord, come and show your mercy as you have so many, many times. Come and have your way with us. Lord, release us today as we go with a keen awareness that you have a purpose for our lives, that you will guide us, that you can nudge us, that you can open our eyes to see opportunities that you have designed for our days and our moments. Come, Lord, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're getting prayer, feel free to continue. 
Otherwise, God bless you. Don't forget to sign up today for the conference coming up. Make sure you sign up for the equip class. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you guys.